0: Welcome to AV Plus, the podcast from Commercial Integrator. I'm Adam Forziati, the web editor for CI. And every year we try to highlight one integrator whose business stands out apart from others, whether it's because of their tight relationship with the customers, their steadfast business principles, or their unique approach to hiring. It just so happens, though, that the integrator of the year this year really embodies all three. On this monthly feature episode of AV Plus, we learned some valuable lessons from Integrator of the Year, Ford AV. Before that, though, we'll hear from editors Tom and Craig for the monthly CI News Roundup. But first, a little housekeeping. You can learn more about AV Plus online at CommercialIntegrator.com podcast, and on Twitter by searching the hashtag AVPlusPod, that's A-V-P-L-U-S-Pod would appreciate it so much if you could take a moment to hit subscribe and rate us on iTunes too. It really does help us reach more AV pros trying to reach quality podcasts. Okay, back to the show. We'll start with the CI Monthly News Roundup with my fellow CI editors, Craig McCormick and Tom LeBlanc. So every year we organize part of a large event called the Total Tech Summit, and Tom and Craig, not only are you guys typical, uh, you know, attendees of this event, but you're also co-organizers, and each of you took part in your own sort of um, your own conversations, if you will. And really, that's what the event, Total Tech Summit, and the CI's portion of that event is all about, is not only continuing long-held conversations, but hopefully starting new ones about topics that are really affecting uh, our sort of commercial end of the system integration industry. So, Tom... You were taking part in this conversation, if you will, about uh, the managed managed services problem that we talk a lot about here at CI. Uh, What did you learn from, uh, from your session?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it really spanned across several sessions where we were talking about services. And that's no surprise to anybody who's ever been to a Total Tech Summit, a CI Summit, an NSCA BLC, an NSCA Pivot to Profit, and... Uh, a VIXA executive conference, all of these events almost always include a lot of content about services. So, you know, it was kind of interesting because you get up on stage and you start to talk about how this session is going to be about services. And the thing you want to avoid is everybody just kind of glazing over and being like, we have heard this before, just stop talking about it. So one of the things I tried to do was um, I tried to show data that demonstrates that we still need to be talking about this. I think the risk that all of us in the industry run is that we, we tend to talk to companies that are doing well and that get it. And we tend to forget that there are many, many other companies that aren't doing as well and are way further back on the curve in terms of transitioning to service. So we talked about that a little bit at Total Tech Summit. And I thought because of that, the conversation or the tone of the conversation was a little bit different and more into like the nuances of why there might be some challenges related to the shift to services. And, you know, one of the things that came up is language. Like we're so hung up on this objective to... Shift to more of a service-based business model. That we talk about it as if our customers are also talking about it all the time, <laughs> and we use these terms like recurring revenue. Like customers don't care if you have recurring revenue. And
0: in they, fact, if you if you phrase it that way, they <laughs> may not like you to phrase it that way. Oh, pay me, make
1: me pay you more money all the time. Sure. <laughs> so you, you'd like you'd like to have a direct line into my uh, checking account? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we, no, we use terms that like, you know, don't really make sense and aren't as customer friendly. And, you know, one of the big takeaways I had was like, you know, look to the companies that are really good at, you know, as a service models, you know, companies like Netflix or your cable provider and look at the language that they use, you, you know, really it's, it's more customer, uh, facing it's softer. Um, and I think, you know. I think we had a lot of good conversations around that concept at the show. Craig, did
0: you uh, have a similar experience at, at your uh, your session?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I
2: I think, like Tom said, I mean, we we do tend to focus on the the companies that are are doing things well, and and those tend to be the ones that are on our panels because we want them to be able to teach the other people in 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 the audience, you know, about what they're doing and, and things like that. But I think kind of one of the the biggest takeaways is is just the idea of, I I think a lot of these companies are doing these managed services sort of things, and and they don't think that they are necessarily. I I think they don't realize that some of the things that they're doing could be packaged as managed services and could be thought of that way and could become recurring revenue sources for those companies.
1: No, Craig, you did a session that kind of took a different approach to the whole challenge of... You know generating more service revenue uh, because you you kind of centered around profitability on projects right or pretty much on projects so the idea has always been that you know uh, profit margins on products and projects are going down and that's the direct reason why the integration industry needs to transition to more services but I liked what the integrators on your panel were saying because they weren't arguing that point but they were saying there are still some things we can do to improve the profitability on those product sales and projects. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I, I think you just have to, have to think in
2: different ways than maybe how you're, how you're used to, to thinking when, when it comes to, you know, making a little bit of money. If you, if you do things the way you've been doing them the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, you're not going to survive in this market where, Product margins are going way down. Um, margins on labor is going way down. You, you have to think about service and and different things that you can offer a customer that makes them want to stay with you and work with you for you know an extended period of time and make you you know the number one service provider for them and basically you know rule out your your competition.
0: Okay, guys, you could say that we cheated a little bit when we named multiple large integrators the integrator of the year last year. You know, our and our point of doing so was to draw attention more to the rise of what, you know, we're calling mega integrators or firms that are racing towards the billion dollar mark and buying up some of their competition in the process. But Tom, Craig, why did we lean towards a more traditional choice this year?
2: Craig, you interviewed the co-founder, Jim Ford, so I want to get your thoughts on that, both of you. Ford AV has has been in business for 45 years, and they've been successful for much of that time. They're they're among the top integrators in in the industry in terms of revenue, the the types of project projects and and uh, types of work that they do. So that for for us, I think it was an easy call this year. It it's a story we've wanted to tell for a while, and and one that we finally got a chance to do. So
1: Ford AV has like like Craig said, been on our radar for a long time, and you know. I've kind of, you know, heard through the grapevine about what strong business processes and what a great leader Jim Ford is. And I say through the grapevine because it's interesting. They're a company that I don't think loves meteor exposure as really? much as a lot of other companies. So it was kind of hard to get the interviews that would lead us to feel comfortable. Making them the integrator of the year. But the result was that we definitely did feel comfortable. I mean, they're one of the top integration firms in the country. They, they have this legacy of success and they have this great, you know, business foundation. And really, you know, when we launched commercial integrator, what were we trying to do? We were trying to create a publication that provides more of a business resource for our audience than, you know, maybe what else was out there at the time. So I'm really proud of this choice. I think it's a it's a really good one.
0: So speaking of some of those business practices, you know their operations day to day, Craig. You know after speaking with Jim Ford, the co-founder, what do you think
2: that Ford AV does differently when it comes to solving some of those everyday problems? They they follow a philosophy and they call it principle based management, and it's basically if you make a promise to someone, if you tell someone you're going to do something, you do it, and whatever it takes, you you make it work. It sounds idealistic but I can tell from talking to Jim for for the time that I did that that it's it's a practice that they follow it's probably the most important um, thing that they do in, in their company and, and it's something that you know has, has kept them going for these these 45 years
0: yeah just to drive that point home I wanted to play you guys quickly um, how Jim answered that similar question
3: and I also think the uh, demands or expectations of customers, are uh, much higher today a lot of companies want everything done now you know can you do this in the next 60 days can you do this in the next 90 days so uh, being able to execute uh on your promises is is probably the is is the biggest task yeah
2: that's sort of Speaks to your, um, how would it, what did he call it again? His, uh... The principle-based management. It's, it's, a, it's a philosophy that they've operated under from basically from day one from the sounds of it. But despite having this like deliver on promises no matter what
0: focus, it also seems that Ford really tries to take on like a steep level of project. You know, he told you, Craig, that an issue in the industry that, you know, he thinks many integrators fall victim to is that they limit themselves too much.
3: One of the biggest issues with our industry is the consistency of of an integrator to be be able to deliver a quality product from different offices. Uh, You know, there are integrators that are known that this office does excellent work and this office does not. We don't want to be in that position, so we look at all of Ford as one a big resource one big technical resource so that is a big push for us to make sure no matter if it's a small job or it's a large job no matter where it is that uh you know that we have the right team We have the right process, and we have the the ability to check that process.
2: One of the things that Ford's been able to do over the years is uh, diversify in in terms of the vertical markets that they serve. So when one particular vertical market dries up, whether it's education or government or or whatever the case may be, they're able to pivot pretty quickly and and seize on opportunities that are in uh, other vertical markets. So they don't have to ramp up and, and you know follow any sort of learning curve and anything like that they're they're already well equipped to to move from one market to the other as opposed to some integrators that try to seize on a market that's hot and then realize it's going to take them
1: a couple of years to make any traction in it so this is a topic that we we've talked about with other um, integration firms recently customer expectations have changed a lot over the last few years and basically they expect more and they expect um, integrators to be able to do whatever they want you know it Customers have this expectation that if they want technology in a certain place, they should be able to get it. If they want a certain time frame met, they should be able to get an an integrator that can deliver on it. They have really high expectations. And I think, you know, one of the challenge for a modern integration firm is how are you going to be nimble enough to deliver on whatever the customer wants and the customer might want anything? It's interesting to me that, you know, kind of the big takeaway that everybody has about Ford AV is, oh, they're very traditional, you know, like you talk about like, oh, they have very sound business practices, but they're also pretty progressive because they keep pace with that customer demand issue better than I think most integration firms do. And that's another reason why I think it's really admirable what they're doing and why they were integrated of the year. Yeah, I actually have a thought about that and, and
2: one of the reasons why they might be able to do that. And in addition to obviously hiring a lot of engineers and having a lot of engineering knowledge on staff, they um, also reach out to folks that have gone through art school. So they have a lot of creative people, you know, people that are able to think in, in different ways and not always think linear, linearly. Yeah, let's hear really quickly, uh, Jim, talk about that.
3: We are, um, I'll say, engineering heavy, and we hire a lot of technical people. Uh, Along with that, we hire people from the arts that are creative. So if you have people that, I don't know, love sound and video and music and film and theater and things like that, and they're uh, excellent technical people then just their basic nature is to be looking forward all the time. So I would say we have always been looking forward to what is technologies that we should know and we should understand.
0: So you talk about mixing traditional with more of a an, an forward-looking approach. I mean that's a pretty great example of that.
3: Yeah, a-
2: absolutely. I th- I think it's it's kind of interesting because, like Tom said, I I think a lot of people do have the perception of Ford AV as. Just traditional and straight ahead. And, you know, they, they do simple projects and, and just get the things done. But they clearly have a well thought out strategy on, on how to get different kinds of work and, and work in different markets and, and do different kinds of projects. I think it's pretty interesting.
0: Something that I found interesting going through your, your, your research. And now that you've written a blog about this, uh, this choice for integrator of the year, you kind of separated your conversation with Jim into some key lessons. That you know maybe other integrators can learn from, uh, and and you can find all of those on commercialintegrator.com. We do have a story published on uh, that includes all of those right now. But uh, Craig, I was just wondering if you could maybe run through a couple of key uh, lessons that you learned
2: from Jim that you think might be uh, telling of why we chose them this year. Sure, we we hit on a couple of them already. Talk talking about the idea of you know making sure you're, you're diversified in, in terms of your your offerings and and things like that. Um, and also the, the idea of, you know, having creative people on, on your staff. Um, one of the other ones is the idea of, um, a a lot of integrators in this industry sell themselves short in, in terms of their capabilities and, and their abilities, I guess. And Jim talked to me about how that's a kind of a a pretty serious pet peeve of his because it, it doesn't make the industry look as good as it should. And, you know, pe- people need to, you know, promote themselves a, a little bit, a little bit more. It's, it's somewhat ironic hearing him say that since he's he tends to you know shy away from publicity <laughs> and for for the company overall. But um, I, I do think that there's certainly something to that. The, the idea of, you know, not not selling yourself short when you go into a meeting with a with a client and and, uh, you know, making sure that, that they understand that you can do something
1: for them that, that nobody else can do for them companies need to charge appropriately for the level of skill that they're providing to their customers on site. And if they don't, you know, we're back to this whole profitability issue that's been kind of plaguing the industry recently. I think Jim Ford and Ford AV are, you know, one of those companies that I think sets a bit of a standard when it comes to how they present themselves to their customers as experts.
0: Okay, before we close the show, there's just one more thing we wanted to tell you about. We don't want to fall into the whole commercialism around the holidays routine, but if you do need some ideas for gifts, especially for the pro-AV people in your life, we have you covered again this year with another list of gift ideas. You can find that online at commercialiterator.com, but we also recently published a little nostalgia piece on technology gifts throughout the years. It starts off with things like Atari systems and Transformer toys, and then ends up with GoPros and IoT devices. I wanted to hear from some of the younger people around here in the CI office just to see if they remember getting the same gifts as some of the older colleagues who contributed to that slideshow. So I walked around, like an idiot, shoving my phone into people's faces, asking about what tech gifts they cherish the most. I hope you enjoy it. Andrew, (laughs) what was the best gift that you remember receiving that ever had any kind of technological component to it?
4: Uh, it was probably the original Android, like, Motorola Droid phone that I got back in, like, 20... Droid. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. It was, like, back in 2010 or 2009, something like that. It was awesome because I was coming from an iPod Touch, which, you know, was sort of fine, but this also had one of those, like, slide-out keyboards, remember? <laughs> like, it's sort of like the, uh, the T-Mobile ones that they had, like the, the Switch things. I forget what those are called. I think they're yeah. making, like, a comeback, right? Isn't yeah. there a company that wants to, like, make... The slide-out keyboard. Yeah, but I loved that feature. Like, I still have that phone. I don't use it ever, but it's, like, sitting in my room, yeah, and every so often I'll, like, see if it still powers up, and it does. You, you, you have a mantle to the, the slide-out keyboard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still, I don't know. I never really got used to the whole, like, touch it it typing thing. I'm, I'm still pretty terrible at it. But I loved, yeah, I loved having the little keyboard and stuff. I don't know. Hey, hey Jess, do you have uh, a favorite
0: holiday gift that had some sort of technological element?
4: I guess I would say my Wii. Oh, okay. The original Wii was amazing.
0: Okay. It was a hotness for many years.
4: Yeah. I mean, I loved all of of the games that came with it. Um, You know, Mario Kart was fantastic.
0: Was that your favorite Mario Kart?
4: Definitely. Definitely.
0: Okay. Well, I think we're going to have to have like a little competition in the office. Let's do it. Bring it in. (laughs) Hey, next victim. Leo, what was your favorite gift that you ever received that had some sort of technological component? Was it camera stuff? It was, it was camera stuff, right?
4: I have to think. Give me a second.
0: <laughs> I know it is, though.
4: Is this going to go anywhere? Yes. Where? Podcast. For work? Yes. Maybe we can go. Crap. Because <laughs> <laughs> I ordered this robot right from Japan, right? <laughs> well, this, this is so going to so be an entertaining episode. Best technological present? Yeah, anything that had, like, a, <laughs> electronic. Uh, December of... 1993. Uh oh, a year after I was born. I got a Sega Genesis console <laughs> with Sonic 2.
0: That is pretty amazing. I actually know what you're talking about, so. What am I trying to think? I know it's okay because Leo just took five minutes for this for this answer, so it's all good. You you have all the time. The answer took five minutes. Yeah. I took five minutes to think of an answer. Both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at any favorite? point in time. At any point in time. Yeah, Graham. How about you?
4: Favorite electronic gift I ever received was probably when I was about seven years old, and I received a Game Boy SD. Oh, okay, what was your favorite and game on that? My favorite game on that was this Tarzan game. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: So, you, you put Pokemon aside,
3: Pokemon
4: you said
0: aside. to heck with that. Yep. I need Tarzan in my life. Tarzan and <laughs> Crash, <clears throat> were probably my Okay, well, Crash, I mean, Crash yeah. Is good, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if you're not watching it for that tree, maybe Tarzan was very Crash-oriented. <laughs> right. Uh, Katie, do you have an answer? Um, I well when I was like 10 years old I got a keyboard. A like <laughs> keyboard from my parents. So so just for context, you are our art director here. <laughs> yes, I am the art director but for a little while I thought I could make my way as um a pianist. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You know. I thought you meant like a computer keyboard for a hot second oh my there. God, no no, like the kind that you play music on. Okay. Well, that's still pretty amazing. Yeah, cuz I was really good at like the Muppet babies. The m- <laughs> So you you could have become the next synth wizard. Yes, yes, I could. Have. And, and and where do you no. do you ever? No. Oh gosh, no. I can, I can do like chopsticks, and that's about it. <laughs> You've come a long way.